On today's art support, we've got loads of push previews, including pod plays in the solitude of Cotton Fields and La Marea, which is the tide. Also, we've got Jack of All Arts, Chris Spin Glover, who's bringing films, readings, and slideshows and audience Q&A to the Pacific Cinematheque this weekend. We'll have an interview with him. Plus, we've got a preview of tomorrow's 30 Live Music Showcase, so stay with us. Hello, and welcome to the Arts Report for... Uh, January the 12th, and uh, one thing I for forgot to mention during the intro there is that we've got a free pair of tickets to give away to a show at UBC Theatre. It's called Dead Man's Cell Phone, and uh, uh, it's a play that deals with um, the, the modern obsession that is the cellular telephone. That should be great. Uh, you're listening to us on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, or perhaps anywhere in the universe at citr.ca. I'm your host, Adam Janusz, and um, we've got lots on the show for you today. We actually have a sponsor on this week's show. I feel so loved. It's lovely. Um, the UBC Arts Undergraduate Society is sponsoring us, and uh, we'll tell you more about uh, what they do. They're having a, a big um, celebration all week long here at UBC, and they represent arts students. Uh, you can find them on Twitter and Facebook. Their Twitter address is twitter.com slash UBCAUS. And uh, on Facebook, they're at uh, facebook.com slash UBCAUS, which is the Arts Undergraduate Society, AUS. Um, all right, so last week, uh, I got some feedback from last week's show that uh, my grammar was really bad. I, uh, I said things like gooder and funner. So, uh, so on this week's show, I'm going to work really hard to have uh, more fun and uh, to be more good. So, yeah. Uh, also, uh, if I do fail in my grammatical efforts, it'll be because I'm extremely tired. Because, uh, as you probably know, Push, uh, the Push Festival is coming up very soon, next week. And... Um, and uh, so the arts report workshop, if you will, has been in uh, in full crazy mode, and all the arts report uh, uh, elves have uh, have been working overtime, twenty four seven, to uh, to put together uh, push related content to give you uh, to get you ready before the festival begins and through uh, the festival as well. So we've been working very hard for that, and uh, yeah, and I'm just uh, I'm just really tired, so I might just I don't know, I might take a nap and just let Simon here just uh, just run the ship. And, uh, yeah, it'll be fine. But, um, but anywho, enough about me. Uh, there is, uh, uh, of the uh, push coverage that we have on today's show, we will be talking about uh, La Marea, which has been brought to us uh, after a worldwide tour uh, from Argentina, originating in Argentina, uh, by theater director Mariano Pansati. And this will actually take over a city block here in Vancouver, in Gastown, to be precise. It'll take over the whole block. And for two hours, uh, you can go there, or if you are just a random passerby, you might run into uh, this two-hour performance where all these little scenes will be taking uh, place uh, all over the block, and there will be projections of uh, script 
uh, that tells you what the characters are thinking. So if they're in a window and you see a person looking out the window and they're talking to somebody inside and you're looking at them from the street, you will be able to see what they are saying or what they are thinking because it will be projected onto the, onto the building. Uh, so that's kind, of, that's kind of awesome and exciting and a big highlight. We'll also have uh, In the Solitude of Cotton Fields, which is a show that's originated in Poland and has uh, been touring the west coast of North America and will be uh, here in Vancouver for the Push Festival, obviously. And um, it's been called things like Hysterical Theatre and uh, Fearless. It's been described as Fearless. And... Um, and it'll be great, so we'll find out what that all means. And uh, later in the show, we'll also talk to Crispin Glover, who you may uh, remember for well, from a lot of things. He's been he's been working in Hollywood uh, for like twenty twenty five years, but uh, arguably his most famous role is playing uh, George McFly in Back to the Future, the kind of uh, dorky dorky kid in the 50s who grows up to be uh, Marty's father. Uh, he was in Charlie's Angels and uh, a ton of other stuff, but uh, he's also a writer and um, a recording artist and, and, and so much more. So he's bringing uh, all kinds of his, uh, his talents together, and he'll be, he'll be on uh, the show later. And, uh, and much good stuff on top of that. So um, we might as well uh, get things rolling, and we're going to start with La Marea. Argentine theater director Mariano Pansotti has toured around the world with a unique uh, street theater production called La Marea, the Tide in Spanish. It's coming to the 0-hundred block of Water Street next week and promises to wow intentional audiences and random passers-by alike. The small scenes, which include things like a couple's first kiss and a motorcycle crash, um, all include projected script that expresses the thoughts of the characters. Um, the opening up of internal personal worlds in a public space naturally brings to question the very idea of privacy. And Mariano believes our modern idea of privacy is a, rel is a relatively recent uh, invention. So we talk about all these things. Um, we talk about the, the show and, and where privacy is going in this Internet age. But first, uh, here he is explaining how the idea of La Marea came together. Well, I think it's uh, based on a very simple uh, situation, which is um, when you're in a street or in a public place and you start to look at someone that you don't know and try to imagine how could be the life of that person or uh, how could be the thoughts of that person. Um, so I used to spend a lot of time, you know, in public places such as bars, uh, looking at strangers or passerbys in the street and trying to imagine how could be the life of those persons. And I think that was the starting point of the performance. Mm -hmm. And from that time, it's evolved into um, quite a large project to the point that you'll be taking over an entire city block here in Vancouver. And, um, and I understand uh, that in Montreal you had an incident where there was a, a car crash scene and uh, yeah. people actually thought that there was a car crash going on. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, I think, well, the performance, it works a lot with this strange borderline between fiction and reality, mm -hmm. uh, because the, 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 the performance is composed by nine uh, different scenes, which are performed at the same time in, in a real street, and the scenes itself, they look like, well, like just people who are there at night, and, mm -hmm. and as you said, one of the scenes is a, it's a motorcycle accident, mm -hmm. and it's quite realistic, and uh, yeah, in Montreal, someone called an ambulance because it, they thought that it was a real accident. Uh, and for me, it's interesting yeah. when when people start to to you know to doubt uh, about if the scene is a real situation or is just 
fake. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, and I and I wonder if if you do you encourage that? Do you encourage these these um, scenarios where real life enters the the fictional space? Um, yeah, well, you know, for me, it's always interesting this mixture. Uh, in a way, I think uh, I'm interested in to place fiction in a real place and to see how our fiction transformed that real place, but also to see how the real place transform our fiction. Mm -hmm. I think it's uh, it's a work that uh, works in both directions. Mm -hmm. And I, I suppose you see that because it's been done in many cities around the world, and um, I guess you see that uh, play out. That every every city makes it uh, makes it different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's well, it's a performance that changes a lot in in each city. Uh, first, because we do an adaptation of the text of the scenes to mm -hmm. to make it uh, more local. Um, then I, I work with the uh, local actors, uh, and of course the the approach that the actors have to each scene it changes on on each city. And uh, well, the street itself the, that that surrounds the performance um, it has a different impact on on each. Uh, version that we do mm -hmm. and now the 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 911 call the where the, the you know the, the first responders came i mean that's a that's an extreme case but from a from an average audience for an average audience uh, member what what are you hoping um to get out of the audience what are you hoping that the audience um does uh you know as their part of the show hmm. um well Actually, I think it's a performance that gives a lot of freedom to the audience. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that it's, it, it, it's a performance that it's kind of open for the theatrical audience, but also for the casual passerbys mm -hmm. or the people who live in, in the area. Uh, it's not just designed for theatrical audience. Um, and they have the freedom to choose the order of the scenes. I mean, the, the, they can start for the motorcycle accident or they can start for, I don't know, a couple kissing each other. Uh, so that's something that is going to change their perception of the totality of the performance. Um, and I would say that uh, for me, the most interesting thing is how the performance might change the, the view uh, of, of the audience uh, of a place that they might know in advance and they can see with a different perspective. Mm. So to look at that block of, um, of Gastown and, and see it in a new, in a new way than, than they otherwise would. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I, I read on, on the Push website there, there's a, there's a great interview with you and um, there was one idea that, that kind of startled me, it surprised me, and it was the idea that, uh, that privacy is is sort of a a very modern concept, you know that uh, the current um, way we look at uh, what is public and what is private is really kind of uh, been a sort of manufactured uh, concept uh, and a fairly recent one. And so I guess I, I wonder where do you think now with uh, in the in the digital age and the you know in the where everything is is available and everything is able to be to be broadcast what do you think is what do you think is the the future of uh, of privacy is it uh, will it die away mm. uh, i think it's a very good question <laughs> and it it's really difficult for me to imagine uh what would be the future of 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 that as you said i think it's always a construction it's it's not something uh, natural it's a there is a construction of the the, the private concept or, or the public concept, of course. Um, but it's clear that right now, uh, even if 
if it looks like uh, we, we, we have a, a lot of privacy, um, it, 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 it is a, a moment where, where, you know, the mixture between private and public, it's, it's very strange. It's being uh, um, questioning all the time. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you think that's a good thing? Uh, I don't know, <laughs> good or, or bad. It, it's something that happens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's it's uh, it's good if you think uh, where do you fit in in in, in a public context. Uh, what's your link with the others, actually? And that was uh, Mariano Pensotti, who has an excellent sort of uh, smooth voice that could be in broadcasting or. Uh, or yeah, in radio, like that fellow that um, that uh, emerged in the U.S. Uh, last week, that 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 homeless man who turned out to have this incredible radio voice, and and he's been turned into this superstar now. But uh, rumor has it he's already he's already uh, falling back into hard times with arguments with with his family and all that and all that stuff. Um, yeah. So if he if if they need another. Um, broadcaster announcer voice they can just ask uh, Mariano because he's he's good anyway uh, he's bringing the show uh, La Marea and I should say he's bringing it he's brought it here it's a worldwide kind of thing but uh, this is a partnership um, between uh, him and a lot of uh, local uh, schools and theater companies including UBC theater and studio 58 so it's a huge collaboration so uh, that includes more than just just him it's more than just a one-man one-man dealing Okay, so uh, La Marea is uh, opening on January the 18th and will run until the 22nd from 7 until 9 p.m. in the 0-100 block of Water Street in Gastown, and that's between Abbott and Carroll, or Corral, or Carraral, or uh, I don't know, everybody has a different uh, pronunciation for that. But anyway, it's, uh, it's right there on, on, um, on Water Street and should be... A lot of good fun, and hopefully the actors who are outside can stay warm because it's uh, it's cold. Okay, so we're gonna take a quick break, and when we return, oh by the way, and I should point out if you want more information uh, on that show, you can go to the Push Festival website, which is pushfestival.ca, which has all information on all the shows, and you can get tickets to all the shows. Or right now, you can go to citr.ca, and we'll we have links from our page to uh, to get tickets for the show. Uh, not this one because it's free, but uh, but other shows. So uh, stay with us, and when we return, we'll talk about In the Solitude of Cotton Fields. Theater at UBC is proud to present Dead Man's Cell Phone by Sarah Rule. Dead Man's Cell Phone tells the story of Jean, a woman whose life is irrevocably changed after picking up an unstirring stranger's incessantly ringing device. For our heroine, this wake-up call takes her on a date with the deceased's brother, a drinking binge with his wife, and a mysterious rendezvous with his mistress. Coupled with trips to the afterlife and an international black market, this beguiling modern adventure hilariously proves that life is for the living. Dead Man's Cell Phone plays from January 20th to the 29th at the TELUS Studio Theatre in the Chan Center on UBC campus. Showtime is 7.30 p.m. For tickets and more information, visit theater.ubc.ca or call 604-822-2678. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR, 101.9 FM. Uh, you just heard an ad for Dead Man's Cell Phone, which is coming up for uh, UBC uh, Theatre. And we'd like to give you some tickets to 
uh, that show on next Thursday, next Thursday at 7.30 p.m., which I believe, oh no, why did I say, why did I bring this up? Uh, I think it's the 19th, uh, is it the 19th of Thursday? I don't know. Uh, 18th or 19th? Either one, sorry. Uh, but we want to give you tickets to that, and we're going to give it to you after this next uh, feature. So get your dialing fingers ready for a pair of tickets to next Thursday's opening of Dead Man's Cell Phone. All right, here's another show that's currently touring the west coast of North America. It's called In the Solitude of Cotton Fields, and the original play was written by French writer Bernard-Marie Colté and is a rather abstract uh, dramatization of a dealer and a client, exploring all the different things that that relationship could mean. Then Polish director Radosław Rychczyk, who's becoming quite a star in Poland and abroad for what he calls hysterical theater, focusing on extreme emotions. Um, and he's taken on uh, this play and transformed it. So Richard Wolf of Pi Theatre has spearheaded bringing this show up to Vancouver for Push. We chatted about the show and how everybody, actors or not, will be blown away by this performance. Here's Richard starting us off with some press quotes uh, from the show that he, uh, some quotes that he just found before uh, before we did the interview, and um, and really uh, notice his his Polish pronunciation because uh, Richard is just. Absolutely amazing for somebody who who is not fluent at all in Polish. He's uh, he's quite good. Have a listen. I've got a couple of great quotes if you if you want to hear them. Yeah, uh, these are these are fabulous. I love these because I just I just found them. The first one's from the Portland Mercury, which is a little bit like the Georgia Strait, mm -hmm. and uh, they say this is less a staged play than a balls out rock concert. The performers <laughs> are less characters than the Eastern European rock gods in the vein of Nick Cave screaming and sweating and pushing through dialogue in Polish with supertitles. Often so pretty, it's hard to believe it doesn't crumble under the weight of all the horrible power emanating from the stage. So that's what the Portland Mercury says. And the Los Angeles Times says, every performance artist in town should race to catch actors. Wojciech Niemczyk. Uh, that's the dealer. And Tomasz Nosiński. As the client who seamlessly synchronized performances defy superlatives, say the Los Angeles Times. So I think uh, those are two great recommendations. Yeah, and they're, they're, that's quite lofty praise. Uh, tell me a bit about how you uh, came across this show. How did you, how did you find it? Uh, keeping in mind that, that uh, the last time we spoke, um, we talked about how Pi has a sort of, um, is keen on, on, on a sort of uh, international, you know, conversation, uh, artistic conversation. Well, that's right. I mean, Pi, Pi Theater uh, is presenting this show with the Push International Performing Arts Festival, which is a great, uh, a great fit. Um, we, we are interested in, in bringing Vancouver audiences the most uh, visionary, kind of audacious voices in mm -hmm. contemporary theater, and, the, and so is the Push Festival. And actually, Norman Armour, the executive director of the Push Festival, uh, saw this show when he was in Poland. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a, a connection that goes back a ways with the festival, and we were speaking about the show, and I said, well, sh we'd love to get involved in that, too. So um, he said, uh, absolutely. So we're, we're, um, we're doing it, uh, you know, uh, bringing it uh, together. Um, it's part of the Push Festival, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And uh, I'm, I got really excited about it. I saw the uh, DVD of it. Um, and uh, and I think it's a fearless show. That's uh, something that really appealed to me. It's absolutely fearless, and I think that that's kind of rare 
in, in theater, honestly. I mean, uh, I love it when I see it, but uh, this kind of show moves a bit towards more performance, as those reviews said, mm -hmm. uh, than sort of strict theater per se. Yeah. Uh, the play itself, it is based on a play. It is a play by a, a fellow named uh, Bernard-Marie Coltes. Yeah, and, and I wonder, how, how does that work uh, in terms of, of turning a play that's, that's, as far as I know, kind of quite abstract uh, and turning it into a rock concert? Well, it, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's still a play. Uh -huh. the, 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 there are two characters in the play, the dealer and the client, and they kind of um, go off on... A, a kind of stream of consciousness monologues mm -hmm. about uh, about deals and human you know uh, inter interaction encounters and whatnot mm -hmm. and uh, they've they've just the director who's a kind of a, a visionary reinvents difficult plays like this and makes them uh, visceral and intensely physical and then and he often incorporates live music uh, soundtrack into the production he calls mm -hmm. it hysterical theater based on extreme emotion Mm. And so the, the the text is what it is. It's what it's always been, but it's open to interpretation because it's um, in terms of presentation because it's abstract. Mm -hmm. So there's no real narrative line, if you will. So it doesn't have a kind of traditional story arc, right? Which allows it uh, a, a, a lot more flexibility. Now. The original script is in is in French, and it's been translated into Polish, and then there are going to be English uh, super titles. And uh, I guess the risk there is is that uh, something important will be lost in in translation. Do you think that uh, how how's that overcome? I think the essence is there. Uh, you know, so something changes in translation. Absolutely, every form of translation is a kind of adaptation. It just can't be anything else. You know, mm -hmm. um, the nuances between. Polish language uh, version of the French text and the English super titles that are going to be projected over the stage, which will be very easy to see and very easy to read, mm -hmm. uh, are probably all slightly different, mm -hmm. you know, in their nuances. But essentially, uh, they will tell the same story, or they will actually um, uh, give us the same hit, the same essence. Yeah, and um, and you mentioned this before, but. Um, you know what? What is the one biggest thing that that this show and this the style, you know, the work of this director can sort of uh, I don't want to use the word teach, but I'm going to use it anyway. Yeah, a Vancouver audience and Vancouver artists. You mentioned it's 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 a sort of fearlessness, yeah. Yes. Well, and the great thing about the Push International Performing Arts Festival and uh, the work that we try to do as well is uh, that this stuff doesn't travel well. I mean, for you to see this show, for your listeners to see this show. Uh, they would have had to have traveled themselves to Poland to see it. And that's expensive. It is expensive, <laughs> or, or to Europe. At least. Now, the fact that it's touring the west coast of North America is a real treat. It's only here in Vancouver for four days. And it's not like TV. You'll never catch it on a rerun. If, if, if people aren't in the theater to experience it in the four days it's on next week, you won't see it. And if you don't see it, well, yeah, you're going to... Your experience of performance and what's possible in performance, and uh, and uh, you know how other um, countries and, and uh, performance artists and theater movements are interpreting things, it just won't be as broad. You, you know, you got to see it. You got to see it.
says Richard Wolff, who speaks incredible Polish. Uh, in uh, The Solitude of Cotton Fields is playing from January 19th until the 22nd. It starts at 8 p.m. over at Performance Works on Granville Island, and tickets range from... I won't say range. If you get them in advance, they, are, uh, they do range from $26 to $32, and at the door, they range from $28 to $30. Four. So it's definitely a good idea to uh, get tickets online, and you can do that by either going to the PUSH website, pushfestival.ca, or to our website, citr.ca, and uh, there will be a link there. Now, uh, we'd like to uh, play a song from the band that accompanies uh, the play. So Natural Born Chillers are, are going to be, um, you know, in the show, basically, and then on the Saturday night of the performance run, there will be a separate um, Natural Born Chillers sort of uh, show uh, that goes after the play. Um, but before we do that, we'd like to also offer you tickets to uh, Dead Man's Cell Phone, which is opening next Thursday uh, here at UBC at, um, at the TELUS... At the TELUS uh, Theater. Where am I reading? I am not reading very well at all. Um, but uh, we have uh, two tickets to the opening night, and that involves a little uh, reception after the play. Um, tickets are normally uh, $22. So you can get uh, it for free and save 22 or 44 bucks if you're bringing two people. So um, while the song is playing, give us a ring-ding. Uh, the number is 604 822 2487, that's 604 822 And now, without further ado, here is the song T-Shirt by Natural Born Chillers.
And we're back on the Arts Report with me, your host, Adam Janusz. Uh, this is CITR 101.9 FM. And um, if you don't already, you should follow us on Twitter. It's, um, it's at uh, Twitter... Uh, twitter.com slash CITR underscore arts report or just go to our website CITR.ca and for today's blog entry um, for the arts report you will see a little button that says uh, follow us on Twitter and you can click that um, congratulations to Aaron who snapped up those pair of tickets to Dead Man's Cell Phone next week and that's playing at the TELUS Studio Theater all right, uh, I have some announcements for you before we go on with the rest of the show. Um, uh, our sponsor, UBC Arts Undergraduate Society, who is uh, very generous and kind for sponsoring us. Uh, they represent arts students on academic issues. Uh, they provide student services and host special events. They are on Twitter and Facebook. You can check them out at twitter.com slash UBCAUS or at uh, facebook.com slash UBCAUS. Uh, keep your eyes out for the total arts invasion of the UBC campus uh, that's happening this week in honor of uh, Arts Week 2011. So there's uh, club booths, food sales, workshops, inter-faculty events, games, and of course Mardi Gras. Uh, Mardi Gras, which is happening on Friday in the lounge, uh, that's at the Geo Building Student Lounge uh, from 4 till 8 p.m. There's a barbecue um, at 6 to 8 p.m. in the Buchanan building. And, uh, and Mardi Gras itself, there's two Mardi Gras here. Uh, there's another Mardi Gras, 8 p.m. till 12 midnight. Ah, at the sub. Okay, Mardi Gras moves to the sub. Um, and that'll be from 8 till, uh, till midnight. So, fun times. Oh, and on Friday morning, they're having a crepe sale, which is going to be delicious if crepes mean food, which I'm pretty sure it does. Okay, uh, on with the program. Podplays. This year's Push Festival is celebrating the 125th uh, birthday of Vancouver, so a lot of produ productions, like La Marea that we mentioned before, include the city as a character and not just the setting of the show. Podplays, the quartet by New World Theatre, is one such production and deals with the urban obsessions of four Vancouver residents. The twist is that it's done in the form of a walking tour radio play, or more accurately, MP3 play. You start out in the atrium of the new Woodward's building and venture out into the streets of the city, ending up in a secret location. Podplays, the quartet, was conceived by Arts Report regular, uh, Adrian Wong, and Martin Kinch, who I spoke to earlier today. So I asked them to take us through from the perspective of the audience. So first, uh, the audience arrives at Woodward's atrium, and then what? They will either be issued with an MP3 player, or they will have downloaded the work themselves onto their own MP3 player. Then mm -hmm. the piece, then you sort of take off with the piece. And uh, the quartet, which is what we're calling it, is four, um, essentially 15-minute radio pieces that are, well, they're site-specific radio pieces in the sense that you go on a specific walk while you're listening to the pod play. And, of course, the pod play relates to the walk and relates to what you see along the way in the walk mm -hmm. and hopefully helps you to see the city in a new way. So there are four of those. Um, and uh, they're joined together by, uh, basically, they bump up against each other. Okay. And um, you end up going through a walk throughout downtown Vancouver. Uh, 
This year's theme is, is the, the birthday, the 125th birthday of Vancouver, and I wonder if you could speak to how the city of Vancouver uh, plays a part in, in Pod Place. Well, there are two things to talk about there, one of which is that we're going to do a continuation of Pod Place for the uh, uh, Vancouver 125th anniversary, which will mean that instead of doing just four Pod Plays, we're going to do 12.5 Pod Plays, <laughs> like five. one for each, well, one for each hate except... It's 125 years, right? So oh, that see. five years gets a half a pod play. <laughs> okay. um, but for the moment, the um, quartet is really interesting because it, it not only addresses some of the history of Vancouver, but it also, I think, really causes you to look at areas that, in general, you may not um, have seen before. You may not even have been in before. There are lots of kind of byways and tunnels and... Um, strange nooks and crannies in downtown Vancouver that mm -hmm. generally most of us don't see. And the nice thing about the pod plays is they've sort of allowed us to, uh, to take that kind of exploration, and we're going to take the audience on that kind of exploration. Mm. Now, New World has done these pod plays before. Have you been a part of the earlier incarnations? Right. Pod plays was, was um, uh, originally thought up by Adrian Wong, and then Adrian came to me at the Theatre Centre, and... Uh, New World and Playwrights Theatre Centre um, commissioned the pod plays from the very beginning, right? Mm -hmm. So the very first pod play as such was uh, done last summer, and it was done um, in connection with the Powell Street Festival. Mm -hmm. um, it was written by um, Kishiro Shigematsu, Kishiro Shigematsu, mm -hmm. and, um, and it was an interesting piece, because apart from being a quite interesting and successful uh, look at uh, at that that festival and at the sort of history of the Japanese in that area. It uh, it really offered uh, operated as a kind of pilot for us and let us see all the kind of problems that uh, or many of the problems we would have with this kind of event. Yeah, and, and I wonder what uh, you know what in, in the evolution of pod plays. What's uh, what's one thing that's uh, that you've learned or one thing that's uh, maybe surprised you in in, in this format because it's a, it's a very non traditional theater format, isn't it? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I think there are pieces that that relate to this kind of work, but I'm not mm -hmm. sure that anybody's doing specifically this kind of work at right. this point. Um, I think what I've learned out of this from the one I wrote, which is the last of the four, G Cordova, is, right? G Cordova is how much we are controlled by um, traffic lights and intersections <laughs> as we make our way through through uh, the downtown core and how important the whole notion of time is as we find our way around downtown Vancouver. Mm. I mean, for pod plays, we found a lot, of, uh, there are a lot of challenges in the pod plays that you don't normally think of. And the biggest challenge for me, particularly, and one of the big challenges of pod plays is, of course, intersections. Because you never know when you're going to hit those intersections. Ah. And you really never know how long they're going to be. So when you try and sync up uh, a play in, uh, in, in, on your MP3 player to the walk you're taking, it can be really quite a challenge. Right, because of course this is all, it's all happening kind of concurrently, that they're listening to the play as they're walking down the street. Exactly, and they've got to hit specific points at specific times <laughs> right, or right. they're lost. <laughs> so what did you do, just have a timer with you and do a lot of, uh, a lot of takes? A lot of timing, a lot of takes. Some people went out with video cameras and videoed their whole walk so that they could actually time, um, time the work to a kind of video representation of the work. Other people um, just walked it and walked it and walked it, mm -hmm. continually timing it. 
you also find out that there are certain things that are too specific in a way. Mm. You really, really have to realize that it's very, very hard to get to one very specific place at exactly the right point. So learn like how to look at the sort of larger picture and how to look for the kind of larger landmarks as you work through. Wow. Well, I wish we had more time, but uh, but we're definitely I'm definitely uh, intrigued. <laughs> and, uh, well, they're quite wonderful. You know, I think I think you'll really enjoy them. Oh, and uh, and that was um, Martin Kinch talking about uh, Pod Place, and uh, I'm a little I'm a little dumb right now because I'm looking for the information on uh, on when Pod Place is, and uh, let me just pick up paper off the floor here. No, that's not it. Uh, well, that's embarrassing. I'm so sorry. Um, let's see here. Um, all right, we're going to take a break, and when we return, I'll tell you uh, when Pod Plays is at the Push Festival. Stay with us. We'll be right back. UBC's Museum of Anthropology displays long-term and visiting exhibits of indigenous art from around the world, and guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits, of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. There's a lot to take in. Luckily at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take home. If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. The Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty. Come enjoy our collection and resources. And we're back on the Arts Report. So Pod Plays, the quartet, is playing from January 21st until February the 6th. And um, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it's from 12 until 4 p.m. And, um, and it, uh, it's at the Woodward's Atrium which is in a sort of quasi-Gastown. It's like uh, Hastings and Abbott-ish, Abbott and Cordova. Uh, you can't miss it. It's the big floating W. Uh, and tickets are $20, and you can get them from our... You can find the links from our website at citr.ca. Now, uh, we're going to do the Crispin Glover interview in a moment, and that's going to be... Uh, he's coming to the Pacific Cinematheque this weekend, and also this weekend at Pacific Cinematheque is a film called One Week Job. Uh, this film follows Sean as he works 52 jobs in 52 weeks, trying to find his passion. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll likely have a few beers, and have a souvenir photo taken in the Pixar photo booth. It's a Saturday night you won't forget, and that's uh, this Saturday, January the 15th. Tickets are 10 uh, $10, and you can get them at uh, the door over at Pacific Cinema Tech, which is 1131 Howe Street. And at 2 p.m., there's a reception um, followed by a screening of the film. Ah, so it's at, uh, it's at 2 p.m. on Saturday, so you can check that out. And that's Pacific Cinema Tech. And also at the same place is Crispin Glover. He's been in Hollywood since the age of 13 and has starred in films like Back to the Future as Marty's father, George McFly, Charlie's Angels, 
uh, as the Thin Man, and last year's Alice in Wonderland as the Knave of Hearts. Yes, he's Crispin Glover, and the Hollywood actor is, and sorry, Hollywood actor is just one of the many hats that he wears, along with writer, director, author, and recording artist. One of his most passionate projects is a trilogy of films that uh, he's been working on for over a decade. The first is called, what is it? It featured a cast of actors with Down syndrome and has been described as, quote, mind-blowing, taboo-obliterating, phantasmagoria, and psychodrama. <laughs> and the second film uh, in the trilogy, trilogy is called It Is Fine. Everything is fine! In capital letters. In fact, uh, for ten years, he's used the money from acting in big-budget films to fund these independent uh, projects. And if you noticed, um, I listed two of the three films in the trilogy. The third uh, is still to come. So uh, he's coming to Vancouver this weekend, and he'll be screening both of the films, uh, as well as doing uh, slideshows, book signings, and a Q&A with the audience. So it's a very exciting weekend of all... Um, good stuff. Now, uh, so, so being that he's uh, such a productive uh, artist, I had to ask him, you know, what explains his artistic restlessness, uh, to which he responded, Re restless? I'm not restless. Uh, so here's Crispin Glover in, in his own words. You know, for the most part, by far, I've made my living as, as an actor. Mm -hmm. um, now, the amount of uh, creative energy in the last uh, 15 years, um, a, a high amount of my creative energy has gone into making my films. Mm -hmm. uh, and previous to that, I, I, uh, in the 80s and 90s, I was really making a lot of my books. Uh, and that kind of creative win energy switched over into writing screenplays and making my films. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> acting... Uh, certainly when I'm hired to act in a, a movie, I put all of my energy into that. Mm -hmm. And when I'm not acting in somebody else's film, then I'm generally either touring with my own films or working on my own films. Mm -hmm. So in a certain way, I feel like uh, my, my own, my my main force of of artistic interest is going toward making my own films mm -hmm. and other things are supporting it uh I, I you know i i see why why you're asking the question in the way that you're asking but i'm honestly saying how it's broken down in my own head mm -hmm. it, it it feels relatively uh succinct as mm -hmm. opposed to um, a sort of mad frenzy or right like that. right right and do you think that one supports the other do you do you find yes. that like in acting if you do other things like writing and 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 that that it, it makes you a better actor and, and vice versa uh, it's hard to say i i don't know if i've become a, a better actor or yeah maybe actor. better is not the, not the right <laughs> but, word but it sort of expands your mind i guess or it makes you see things the, the, i think about i think about a acting in a different way yeah. in the last 10 years right. specifically mostly because i've been funding my own films with my acting uh -huh. um and i specifically decided to choose to act in films to do that 10 years ago when the film that i'm coming to uh, vancouver with uh, at the um, uh, Pacific Cinematheque. Yeah. Uh, now, it's the second time I, I've been there. The first time I was there with What Is It, which is 
part one of what will be a trilogy, and this time I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to show what is it one night, and I'll be showing uh, part two, it is fine, everything is fine, two nights, um, and uh, this is the first time I'll be showing uh, uh, that film in, uh, in Vancouver, mm -hmm. and in the year two, 2000, and yeah, and uh, end of 2000, beginning of 2001, we shot Everything is Fine uh, with the finances that, um, with the, the, the money that I made from the first Charlie's Angels film. Mm -hmm. It was, mm -hmm. for various reasons, I, I needed to finance the film, having to do with uh, Stephen C. Stewart's health. He was the main actor in Everything is Fine, and he, mm -hmm. he wrote the film, and he had a, a severe case of cerebral palsy. And um, I knew that if um, the money that I made from the first Charlie's Angels film, I knew I could put it straight into making the Stephen C. Stewart film, and that's exactly what I did. Hmm. Previous to that time, I had, <clears throat> I had been very particular about the kinds of films I, I would act in, um, but I, I switched the way that I started choosing to act in films in the year 2000. I've stuck with that over the last decade, wherein I, I am specifically in the last decade acting to be able to finance my own filmmaking. Oh, okay. And in a certain way, I actually um, appreciate or am more grateful for working in the film industry in these past 10 years than I was in uh, the, the previous 15 years or however long it had been hmm. starting in the 80s when I started acting in the film industry. Hmm. Now, tell me a bit more about uh, It Is Fine, Everything Is Fine. It's, it's described as a transgressive yet tender psychosexual tale of disability and fantasy. Yeah, I, I could see it uh, described that way, and and uh, Steve Steve had been, uh, like I said, he Steve had been born with a severe case of cerebral palsy, and when he was in his early twenties, and his mother died, he was virtually locked into a, a, a nursing home where he did not want to be, and the people that were taking care of him, Steve was very difficult to understand. Uh, in his speech, and the people that were taking care of him at the nursing home there would derisively call him uh, an MR, a mental retard, mm. which is not a nice thing to say to anyone, but no. Steve was of normal intelligence, and the emotional turmoil he must have experienced in that decade, I, I can't even begin to imagine, but he did write this screenplay, and as soon as I read the screenplay, I read it in 1986, Six or seven, I believe. I think 1987. As soon as he read that, I read that screenplay. I knew I would have to uh, basically personally finance the film to get it made. I, it, it was extremely important to me to get the film made. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm out and showing it, touring with it, and it's done, I'm, I'm, I'm relieved. Basically, uh, I, I, uh, I, and 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 the importance it was to me to get it made was not not just because i'd said to steve that i was going to make it there was something that's communicated in it mm -hmm. there is a an emotional catharsis with the stephen c stewart character that i relate to and i feel at one with the message in a strange way i mean mm -hmm. i'm certainly not steve and i certainly have a very dissimilar existence to what steve's 
existence was, sure. but there's something I very much relate to, and uh, I'm, the more I show the film, I every time I look at it and think about it, I just, I, when the whole trilogy is done, this film will be the best film in the trilogy, but beyond that, this film will probably be the best film I'll have anything to do with in my whole career. Um, I feel very, very strongly about the film. And, you know, it's not obvious, even, even well, when people see it, I, I think they understand, they understand what I mean, but, uh, you know, it certainly won't be the m movie I make that makes the most money or, sure. or anything, but there's something in it that I'm just, like I say, I'm very glad to be showing it to people. And that's Crispin Glover, who is very proud of his work and ready to show it to you this weekend from uh, January the 14th until the 16th. Now, of those uh, three days, the first and the last, so the 14th and the 16th, will present It Is Fine, Everything Is Fine, um, that film. And then on January the 15th, it'll be uh, his first film, uh, which is called What Is It? And there's also slideshows. So on the 14th and the 16th, Crispin Helion Glover's big slideshow part one uh, will be taking place. And um, part two will be taking place on both days as well. And then on the 16th, there will be a Q&A session and book signing. So that's on, on the last day that will include the Q&A and uh, book signing. And uh, the 15th, which is featuring the first film, What Is It? That one will uh, include uh, the f uh, part one of the big uh, slideshow. And that day will have a Q&A and book signing as well. So a Q&A and book signing on the 15th and the 16th. And you can, tickets are $20, and you can get them at cinematech.bc. .ca and note that this is restricted to 18 plus which means that it is good. All right, so we're going to take a quick break and when we return we'll tell you about uh, tomorrow's 30 live show. So stay with us. At Dunkin Donuts each and every radio show is brewed fresh and served fresh at the peak of its flavor. If you're a tough customer, only the taste of this radio show will do. So go ahead, let Dunkin Donuts make your radio experience exquisite. Indeed. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts, serving sweet treats from the pop underground. Thursdays, noon to one. Okay, we're back on the Arts Report for one last segment before we run out of the clock. And it's uh, 30 Live, and that is the name of the weekly music showcase that celebrates the best of Vancouver's unsigned local acts. Their Facebook page, which you can find in on our blog post at citr.ca right now. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's every Thursday, and this week we'll feature the bands Jackfruit, Mind of a Child, and a steady vertigo. It's at uh, the forum. Uh, it happens at the forum every every Thursday from now until the end of time, and that's on the Granville Strip between Helmkin and uh, Davy. So Ellen doors are at eight thirty, and the music begins at nine p.m. And I've checked out a few of these events. Most recently, the Christmas show. And that was a riotously uh, good time. There was a lot of people, you know, it was very festive in, in those days, in those long-ago days of 2010. Um, there was, the place was absolutely jam-packed and uh, had some surprisingly good tunes uh, playing. And tomorrow, I bet, will be no different. 
So uh, we want to give you a little taste of what you can hear tomorrow night at, uh, at 30 Live at the Forum out there on Granville Street. So uh, the first band that's going up tomorrow is Jackfruit, and we're going to play a song from their MySpace page, which is called Slimmy. was Jackfruit with a song called Slimmy. Not Slimy, Slimmy, double M, uh, is Slimmy. Uh, my grammar sucks, but my pronunciation is uh, immaculate. All right, so uh, bu- 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 that's, that's the end of that. Uh, I'm just looking over my notes here. Right, so that was part of 30 Live. And that's every Thursday, so uh, that's tomorrow's uh, feature, the band Jackfruit. Uh, the doors open at 8.30, and uh, the bands begin at, uh, at 9. 
and it's a it's a jolly good place to have a drink and see some local bands and uh, maybe even do a little moshing if you're into that sort of thing. So that's always fun. Um, I was telling you about uh, Dead Man's Cell Phone, which is playing, which UBC Theater is uh, is putting on. Now UBC Theater is also involved in a couple of uh, push shows. One that we mentioned already, uh, La Marea, but also another one they are sort of hosting, and this one is called Circa. It uh, it starts on January the 19th, and if you look at the website, it has a very provocative uh, photo of, uh, of a dancer, I'm presuming, a shirtless man who is sort of looks like he's uh, a table for um, some red uh, high heels. A high-heeled woman is standing on this man, and uh, he looks like somewhere between uh, in pain and uh, perhaps a bit of pleasure. Uh, anyway, enough about that photo. Let me tell you about the, the show. Circa's self-titled creation is movement at its most adventurous and dangerous. Seven performers move from highly connected acrobatic and tumbling sequences to fast-paced moments of great intimacy where precision and timing are everything. Their signature style combines physical beauty, formidable circus skills, and an immersive use of sound, light, and projection. The result is a new form of captivating circus performance that is impossible to forget. Following their critically acclaimed run of The Space Between in 2008, Push Festival, Circa returns with a best-of performance that remixes existing creations into a bold, new spectacle. And that's, uh, that's going to be at the Frederick Wood Theatre here at uh, the UBC campus. And um, you can find that on the PUSH website, which is pushfestival.ca under Main Shows, and it's called Circa. And you can get tickets there and get uh, showtimes. Tickets range from $26 to $34. And will likely go quickly, so snap them up. Well, look at that. It's uh, it's 6 o'clock, and that marks the end of this week's program. Uh, next week's show will feature even more push goodness, including an interview with uh, Veda Hilly, who is a, a darling of the, of the local music and arts scene. And uh, she's involved in just about everything at Push. I mean, she's... She's uh, she's really a, a woman about town, and uh, and is involved in a lot of projects. So we'll talk to her and get the scoop on all of her activities at Push, and uh, and many other lovely uh, interviews from the festival. So um, join us next week for that. If you don't already subscribe to the Arts Report podcast, you can do so from the website, citr.ca, and from today's Arts Report uh, blog post that has a list of all the the features. It has a list of, uh, of all the features that we had on today's show uh, and links to all of those things. And, um, and it's great. So uh, you can, you can uh, get lots of information there. We're hearing some crazy noises here, so it's, time to, uh, it's definitely time to go. <laughs> so thanks for listening, and uh, join us next week for another uh, Arts Report.
Thank you. 